look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. Interesting show this week. We're going to find out if more Albertans are moving or renovating this spring and whether we're doing big moves or little fixes. Do you know what you, uh, what you can and can't do when you're helping a loved one look after their financial affairs? Most people don't. We've got uh, Catherine Zhang, a recurring guest. She's going to join us to talk a little bit about what the requirements for powers of attorney and caregivers are. Um, you already know that probably if you're close to 50, it's hard to lose weight as we get a bit older. But do you know why? So we're going to talk to a doctor about how, why that is and how do we beat that, uh, that bulging tummy. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the top places in Canada to take your grandkids and some trips, uh, tips and tricks about to, to make that more enjoyable for everybody. An interesting week, particularly in the oil market. So we saw that, uh, that President Trump has pulled the United States out of the Paris Climate Accord. He joined some elite company, uh, Nicaragua and Syria, uh, not signing on to this particular accord, and this is part of his America First. I was interested to uh, watch the reaction of the oil markets and uh, and the commentary from the analysts and economists that follow oil, and a pretty interesting dialogue. Um, some saying that, listen, this is going to spur demand for fossil fuels in the United States, uh, and you know, if it's a demand-side response, then that should be positive of oil prices. Um, the, su- the supply side uh, argument is that, hey, if, um, if we don't have the same or the U.S. doesn't have the same emissions restrictions, then perhaps we're going to see a, a renewed drilling effort and a supply side or production response from U.S. Uh, drillers, shale producers, and conventional producers. i got to tell you, with, uh, with oil trading down, it looks to me like the supply side uh, argument is uh, is perhaps winning the day. We did see uh, um, a negative oil uh, pricing response with respect to that. We also got some comments from the head of Rosnet, which is uh, Russia's largest oil producer. His numbers, he says that he believes that the Americans are going to go to work here and drilling and could produce up to another, let's call it about 1.5 million barrels a day of production coming out of the U.S. So, it's going to be interesting to see what this all means, um, and it is going to take um, a couple of years before we see if uh, the Americans actually get out. We've got Jody Robbins with us today. She's a Calgary travel writer and author of the 25 places in Canada that every family should, uh, should visit. Jody, welcome to the show. Thank you. So we are um, we're going to have a big birthday here in Canada, and you know if most Canadians are kind of like me, we sometimes take for granted um, our you know our own backyard, right, and travel internationally to see all these wonderful sites. But let's face it, we've got a beautiful country, and there's lots of great places uh, to see here. So I'm I'm interested in the research that you've done here, and talk to us a little bit about the uh, the book you've written, and uh, share with us some of the gems that we should be all visiting in this beautiful country of ours. Yes, I'm happy to. Um, well, it struck me about two years ago that the um, this 150th event was coming up. And at that time, I had done quite a bit of travel across Canada, but mm-hmm. not as much as I'd liked. And when I was researching that for my family, I noticed 
there weren't a lot of um, places where I could go to for advice that were very specific um, to families for family travel. And many guidebooks just didn't address that. So I knew I wanted to travel through Newfoundland. And essentially, I wanted to go to every province and territory in Canada. And so I set off to um, get out to the places that I hadn't yet been with and took my family with us and then shared those experiences in the book, 25 Places in Canada Every Family Should Visit, so people could learn from our experiences and, you know, ideally have better ones. Well, and I think that's, uh, I think that's terrific. So uh, let's go through some of the highlights. Um, tell us about um, sort of your anecdotal experience, but um, what was your favorite spot? <laughs> oh, it's so hard just to nail down <laughs> one favorite, but... Um, I will say, if I could say two, that would be great. But I was definitely surprised by the prairie cities. And maybe as an Albertan, I don't know if it's a snob factor or what, but I didn't have the highest expectations for Winnipeg or for Regina. But in both cities, I was really blown away. Um, not only were they extremely affordable for families, there were many attractions, but also a lot of outdoor adventures that families could do. So you got in those cities a really good mix of both, um, you know, city pleasures and being outdoors in nature and just very easy to get around. So it, it really made me think, you know, why do I think about going to L.A. or Chicago or, you know, taking my daughter to Paris when there's so many great cities in Canada we can have a wonderful vacation time in? Okay, so you caught me off guard, and then I got to admit, I'm a Winnipeg boy. I was born there, not raised, but born there, spent a bit of time. I would not have expected the top of the list to be Winnipeg and Regina. So let's talk a little bit about um, about why. I mean, so I can speak a bit about Winnipeg and all the great lakes and so on and so forth. But what was your experience there? Okay, well, first of all, the Forks. I thought that was yep. really unique, and a family could easily hunker down in that area. Very um, culturally significant, um, but, you know, playground space for the kids you've got the stream rushing by um you know you've got the the rivers oh, it's a um, great area for sure yeah. it's wonderful a children's museum is right there you know steps away you've got the canadian museum for human rights that museum is a huge deal and while you may think uh it's a it's a heavy subject matter the way they break it down in the museum is just fantastic it's very approachable for families and i think it really gets a lot of conversation started um, Cinnaboyne Park, uh, to me, this is one of the best parks in Canada, just not only in terms of green space, but they have a, uh, they have a children's playground there. Um, the Cinnaboyne Park Zoo um, is fantastic, especially, you know, they have this focus with a journey to Churchill, you know, on the Arctic animals. And yep. it's very hard to, to see that unless you do go north to Churchill. Right, right outside of town is Oak Hammock Marsh. And it is this amazing um, wetland and conservation area. It's a birding hotspot. But, you know, you can, like, canoe through these marshy areas, learn a lot of uh, traditional First Nations cultural practices. And, I mean, that's something you normally don't get in a city break. Yeah, no, fair enough. What was the most um, surprising or unusual spot you visited? I think the Viking Trail in Newfoundland. Um, I had... You know, I honestly thought it was a rumor. I didn't believe it until I saw it. But it's true that, you know, half a millennium before Columbus, Vikings made landfall in North America. And they did it on the tip of the Great Northern Peninsula. And the Viking Trail, um, one access point, is just um, outside of Corner Brook. 
in the western part of Newfoundland. And it's a it's a several day journey throughout this very craggy coastline, charming fishing communities. And then you get up to Lanso Meadows. It's a national historic site, and they've recreated these sod and timber huts where the Vikings lived. And they're still uncovering artifacts, and there's just so much for kids to do there. Um, if you've got Viking fever, you really have to go. But it really, it, it made me, it, it was surprising to me that, that this happened in Canada. We're not really um, tooting our horn about it, and it's right. just a wonderful place to visit. Does the does your ranking in terms of the way you think about it change when you add kids to it? Where there's certain areas that perhaps were more kid friendly than others? Definitely, yeah. um, and it's not to say like, of course, you know the book is called Twenty Five Places in Canada. That doesn't mean there are only twenty five places. Mm-hmm. But I really I wanted to highlight the places that definitely cater to families. Um, so, for example, um, Tofino. It's not that Tofino doesn't cater to families. It's just it's a little bit more challenging to get there than, say, Parksville, which right. is also on Vancouver Island. And Parksville has this coastline that extends a kilometer you know, from the shore, very, very shallow, warm waters, which is, I think, more ideal for young families than, say, um, the water that you're going to get in Tofino on the beach. Which is very cold, I can attest to that. (laughs) Yeah, so I wanted to make this book approachable and also, you know, factor in affordability because families are budget conscious. So where are the places in Canada where you can get these not only iconic Canadian experiences, but also some really under-the-radar gems that showcase the best Canada has to offer that people may not know about? Okay, so the book is called 25 Places in Canada Every Family Should Visit. How does somebody get a hold of this if they're interested in celebrating some of these great areas in Canada? Well, in Calgary, several independent bookstores are selling it, such as Shelf Life Books and Owl's Nest. You can also pick it up at Walmart, Save on Foods, Chapters Indigo, or order it online on Amazon. Okay, and just as, let's, let's maybe wrap it up by saying, what are, give us some of the uh, quick tips or tricks that people should keep in mind when they're planning to visit one of these great areas in Canada? Well, definitely um, call ahead and book in advance because this is going to be a very busy travel year. Though I have heard there's still plenty of campsites in um, Grossmore National Park on weekends this summer, so that's great to hear. But definitely do your research up front. It seems almost very un-Canadian to make a reservation for dinner unless you're in a big city at a fancy restaurant. But I would definitely call ahead and book things in advance as much as you can, um, including um, your seats on the airplane. Jody, thank you very much for your input today. Thanks for having me. We've been joined by Jody Robbins, Calgary travel writer and author of 25 Places in Canada Every Family Should Visit. And don't forget, it is our 150th birthday this year, so take advantage of that to the extent that you can. Okay, before we sign off um, on this particular segment, let me remind everybody that if travel is part of your retirement plans, then come out and join us on Monday, June 19th at 7 o'clock at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits. We're going to be down south this time, and it's a Monday, not a Tuesday. Um, So to make your reservations for that, we'd love to see you. You can give us a call at 966-8400 or go to morethanmoneyradio.ca and you can register there. Stay tuned after the break to hear about the types of renovations that Albertans are doing this spring. You're on News Talk 770 and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're on News Talk 770 and More Than Money. I'm going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the uh, national real estate market. Are people, are they, are they selling homes and buying new ones? Are we renovating? What are we doing? And then what are we doing locally as well? 
uh, our economy has struggled over the last couple of years. I wonder if that's influenced um, what people are doing with respect to their homes. Now, CIBC has put out their annual home um, reno poll, and uh, I think there's some uh, there's some interesting results there. And to help us understand what those uh, results of the poll are, what we're finding out, Christine Mihiliz is uh, CIBC's District Vice President in Calgary. Christine, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Dave. So, as you said, recent CIBC poll, and what it's showing for Albertans this year, Dave, is really not that dissimilar to the rest of uh, Canada. Canada, And that is that the number of uh, homeowners in Alberta and across Canada that uh, plan to renovate this year is up to almost 50%. Mm. Uh, this year, and that is an increase from about a third uh, who uh, renovated. I think the real big story that we're seeing here in Alberta is that uh, homeowners are going to plan this year to spend less than they did last year. And uh, honestly, that's not that surprising because last year it seemed like it was a bigger budget year for renovations uh, in Alberta. And this year what the polls shows us that the vast majority of those who are planning to renovate are going to address more what we would think of as need versus want type of renovation. So really looking after things like uh, basic wear and tear uh, on their homes and, um, you know, some of the basic maintenance uh, type of items this year. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, I think the poll nationally, I was a bit uh, interested in, in the national numbers, and I don't know if you can break out for us perhaps the Toronto-Vancouver markets and if it's uh, sort of skewed the results there. Uh, but I know in, in Alberta, reading through that, um, maybe not unexpected that budgets are down a little bit, um, perhaps a little bit here, but it is in keeping with the national, uh, national average. But is there any, is there any weird uh, skewing that you can identify from the plan or from the uh, poll, excuse me, that comes as a result of the, uh, the very strange markets that we've got in Vancouver and Toronto? Yeah, the the uh, the uh, rather uh, heated market, shall we say? Yeah. Well, we would see a little bit of a different state, but maybe it's not as big as you might expect. So, um, compared to the national average, what we see in Ontario and BC is that they're planning to spend a little bit more—an average mm-hmm. of sixteen thousand in Ontario and thirteen thousand dollars in uh, in BC. So, certainly a little bit higher than the average. That's interesting. Now, the, the, the numbers from 2015 to 2016, uh, 2016 was higher. Um, and I'm just reading the results here. Those 7,351 is the average amount that people are going to spend. Sorry, is that the national number or is that the, uh, the Alberta number? That's the Alberta number uh, Alberta. For, uh, for 2017. And again, what we saw last year in Alberta is that uh, homeowners tended to spend uh, a lot more. Right. And uh, likely we saw bigger budget renovations happening uh, last year. So, and I think you said this, this is, this is basic home maintenance, I guess, is, uh, is what this year's renovations look like. Would that be true? Yeah, that's right. The vast majority of homeowners who participated uh, in this year's poll said that really they were going to address basic things, uh, uh, maintenance, wear and tear on their homes. But we also see uh, that a big spend item is landscaping uh, this year and uh, and bathrooms uh, as well. But certainly what we're not seeing this year is the big budget type of renovations like a major kitchen overhaul. Yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> those tend to get expensive, as some of us will know for sure. Um, the number of people participating in renovations, that's, uh, that's high, that's pretty good. That probably has some implications on, 
on GDP, the fact that uh, we're still moving forward, that's good. Was there anything of a surprise in there, Christine, for you when you when you saw the results? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things really stand out for me, Dave. So as you say, we have more homeowners this year who are planning uh, to renovate. Mm -hmm. And so while the average spend is down with more spending, it it really is about the same amount of dollars. So the thing that's really most concerning to me is that about two-thirds of homeowners are going into a renovation project without a budget. And, um, you know, any one of us who's done a renovation before, and uh, even those who were polled say they understand the risk. Maybe they've watched enough of those uh, home renovation shows to know how quickly uh, we can overspend. And uh, even in the polling data, we saw that more than a third said that in a previous renovation that they had overspent. So Hmm. that's a real concern. And, uh, you know, I would really advocate speak to your financial advisor, understand what you and your family can uh, afford, and really look at your own financial circumstances and identify what is the best way to actually fund your, uh, your renovation project. Poll shows that more are planning to use cash and savings this year, right. about two-thirds, while well, about a third will borrow. But again, I would say speak to your uh, advisor and really look at what's best for your situation. Christine, thanks for helping us understand the, uh, the annual home rental uh, poll that CIBC uh, has just completed. Thanks so much, Dave. We've been joined by Christine Mihalides, CIBC District Vice President in Calgary. Uh, we've got our upcoming seminar on Monday, June 19th, 7 to 8 o'clock at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits. That's Monday, not Tuesday. Give us a call at 966-8400 to register for that or online at morethanmoneyradio.com. And up next, don't miss our essential conversation about what caregivers are allowed to do when looking after a loved one. You're on Newstalk 770 and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on News Talk 770 and More Than Money. Faisal, we talk, we've done actually a number of shows on the topic of elder abuse. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's all, that's, a, that's a broad category, a broad statement. There's lots of different um, issues in there. But um, we have I fairly recently covered off this idea of caregivers taking advantage of um, either family members or the people that they're entrusted to take care of. Yes. Right? And there's lots of different ways that that can happen. Um, But sometimes that's an awful surprise, right? Um, Perhaps a family member goes in later or somebody passes away and they did, you know, stuff isn't there that should have been there. Yeah. So, you know, we thought we would... uh, One one thing in particular, Dave, is that when we're talking about taking advantage of, it's not... It's financial that we're... Well, in this case, it's... Yeah, financial. Taking money. Spending the person that they're caring for is money for other reasons besides that person. Yeah, for their care. Yeah. Right? Not acting as a fiduciary for what they need. Okay, so if that happens, and it is happening, unfortunately, um, and it could become a potentially bigger problem, we Mm -hmm. need to understand a little bit about um, maybe how to identify it, risks, and how to solve a problem if you face it. So we've got Catherine Zhang with us today. Catherine's been a regular recurring guest on our show. She's with Walsh LLP. Catherine, thanks for taking some time with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay, so um, let's maybe start with perhaps who's at who's at who's at the biggest risk of this type of situation. In, in particular, you know, financial assets being used in a way that is inconsistent with what the person who's being cared for would want it or should it should be done. Um, I mean, I guess I'd say the people who are at 
the biggest risk are the people um, who've kind of um, given up their um, authority or assigned their authority to other individuals who are acting. Um, so be it a caregiver or um, a family member and or a friend. Uh, and you often see that um, as individuals get older, we see that a lot with the older population, um, they, that they, even though they might still have capacity, they might still have the ability to make day-to-day -day decisions, they've just decided it's easier for me to assign that authority or give that authority over to somebody else because I can't go to the bank as often or my reading's not as, as good as it used to be, etc. Yeah, so it's, I guess once you hit a state of incapacity or you're not comfortable anymore and we're signing it over but it doesn't just yeah, have to be power of attorney. Lot. But that happens right. a lot. You know, uh, and again, this is the wrong thing to do if you're, for those of you who are listening, but there are many adults, yep. parents, yep. who tell their adult children or somebody else, here's my bank card, here's my mm -hmm. personal I or my PIN number, go take some money out and, and go get groceries or go buy it or here's my credit card, use that, right. go online, whatever. Those types of things, you just open yourself up for risk. Now, I'm not saying that everybody's going to get, um, get, get fleeced. Yeah, yeah good. Uh, but but I'm, I'm, I'm saying you open yourself up to risk on that situation. So are these the typical ways that this type of stuff happens, uh, Catherine? Like, is there, or are, are, in your experience, are you, are you seeing a different type of trend? Uh, no, I mean, I think you've, you've hit it on the money is um, it's when, people kind of relinquish control of their assets. And so it's not necessarily only an individual who's um, passing off their bank card or their PIN number um, to family members or friends. It's actually, I mean, when you see powers of attorney get signed um, yeah. and they say, I'm giving you legal authority, you know, aside from access to my personal accounts, you can go to the bank as my representative um, to make withdrawals for me and to monitor my finances. Um, and I mean, to be honest, we see the biggest risk where um, there's not anybody else assisting in the monitoring situation. So um, if there's an elderly person out there um, who doesn't really have anyone, they've maybe got one friend um, or, you know, one family member that's not um, an immediate family member. It's kind of a distant relative that's come into the picture. Uh, and it you know, that individual or that adult doesn't really have other people keeping an eye out for mm -hmm. that person, uh, that's kind of where uh, more opportunities arise for them to get taken advantage of, certainly. So how would you protect against that kind of a situation, or can you? Uh, I mean, yeah, there's a couple of things. Obviously, um, if you're acting under the authority of having an attorney, you are liable. If you start taking out money and spending it on your own vacations, um, you you will get put to task if somebody finds out. Um, I think the important thing for us as a community or as family members is just to make sure, keep an eye out um, for individuals that we know are receiving that kind of assistance. Is their level of care going down? Um, you know, do they, have you seen them in a while? Do they seem withdrawn? Um, does it seem like their standard of care um, is just decreasing um, rapidly uh, and for an unexplainable reason? At those point in times, you know, the first question to do or the first thing to do is ask 
um, whoever is monitoring their assets and saying, hey, what's going on? Uh, because guess what? They do have a duty to account. If the individual doesn't have capacity, they've got an, a duty if somebody makes an application in court um, to show that everything is going the way it should be going and that funds are not being improperly used. So who can make that application to court? Because let me let me paint a picture for you. So yeah. let's say mother daughter mother's incapacitated daughter has um power of attorney she's doing what she's doing with the money um who can actually go to the court and say i wanted to see a, an accounting record of all, everything that's been going on like who has that uh, right well the acts actually allow any interested person so it's quite a broad strokes you know, keep an eye on your neighbor. And, you know, if you have concerns, you have the ability to make that application. Um, what we often tell people who come in and say, I have a concern, um, we often say, okay, make sure before you, you know, pull the trigger and go to court, you've done your homework. Uh, you've actually gone to the person you um, like to have answers from, um, and their response to you may be, well, I mean, you're not entitled to that information. So it could be a process where you get some legal advice and you say, well, at the bottom line is I'm concerned about this adult. Let's just make sure everything is um, happening properly. Um, and if I'm not satisfied with the information here, I will take you um, to task. Uh, but the act allows any interested person. You don't have to be an immediate family member. Does it go as far as an institution? So are there institutions that can act on a, a person's behalf, or is it just an individual that requests that information? Um, I think it depends. I mean, uh, there are uh, programs out there or um, uh, ways um, that the community can, for example, contact if they've got concerns about elder abuse, you can mm -hmm. contact um, different organizations, Calgary Police Service, they've got um, a unit there that will um, investigate um, any allegations of elder abuse. So uh, there are avenues if you're not comfortable bringing that claim or bringing that concern yourself. I think also where Dave was going that is, is it only individuals that can make that application or can a can a company that the that the individual that was that they're working with. So let me give you an example. Let's okay. say this this mother daughter relationship, let's say um, the bank, the the accounting firm, the um, you know the the individual the individual companies that that uh, that that mum deals with, mm -hmm. can, or used to deal with, or used to deal with, can they go and say, you know what, I don't feel that this is being done correctly. Can I make an application to see that the accounting is done properly? Um, I don't see why not. I've I've never personally seen that actually happen. Um, and if that institution is prepared to bring that application, then I don't see why they couldn't. Yeah. Um, I just. I usually it comes it's from an rare. individual. Yeah, yeah, it's rare. Okay, and I was just, the reason I think that's why it's coming up is is what's the responsibilities of institutions out there that deal with an individual who's going through this type of so let's say mom was in a home yep. and in a retirement facility and this abuse is happening. Does the retirement facility have a an obligation a responsibility to go to the courts and say we want to make sure everything's being okay here? So um, let's let's investigate. I, I know that hasn't happened, but but um, it, it'd be interesting to know if that's if if they're on the same um, on the hook for responsibility as an individual would be. I mean, I guess it really depends on the situation and the level of concern. Obviously, the first 
um, priority of anybody should be making sure that the individual or the adult um, is safe and is not being taken advantage of. So if there are those concerns, I know that, I mean, institutions, they generally, they won't act, they won't take your authority unless there is a valid document that's been executed. So if a question comes up about that document that's been executed, they can go the step and say, well, actually, we're not satisfied with this document. We want to go you to go get some other document, which puts the onus back on the individual approaching the institution to go through a formal process and kind of prove that they are validly appointed or they do have the valid authorities. Um, if it gets beyond that and it's just, um, you know, a blatant concern about, okay, well, this person is clearly being taken advantage of, they're clearly being um, fleeced or abused in some other way, then absolutely I think uh, the financial institutions have the ability just like any community member to make a call um, to either the public trustee's office or uh, the relevant um, department at the Calgary Police Services and say, hey, we've got a concern here. We'd like this to get checked out. In sort of a minute or less, um, you probably only see the worst of the worst. Uh, <clears throat> that's the kind of the stuff that would get into the courts, I assume. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe just explain the potential liability on somebody who is perhaps innocently or not abusing that, uh, that, that, that position that they're in. Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, if it is determined that you've been improperly taking funds, um, then you will be liable for restitution at the very least, which is putting all those funds back. Uh, but if there's um, other damages or other concerns that have been raised in the meantime, you could be on the hook for additional. And that's aside from any criminal proceedings uh, that could take place. That's purely on the, okay, there's money missing from this person's account. We're concerned about that. We want that money put back. Uh, you would personally be on the hook for that, for sure, and legal costs, of course. Catherine, thanks for your time today. No problem. We've been joined by Catherine Zhang, Walsh LLP. I want to invite you out to our next seminar, June 19th. That's a Monday, not a Tuesday this time, but a Monday, June 19th, between 7 and 8 o'clock. We start sharply at 7. It's going to be at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits. Join our friends down south uh, and uh, come and join us to talk about the process of retiring, where the opportunities and risks lie, and how to take best advantage of that, uh, of that time of your life. Join us after the break. If you've ever wondered why it's so darn hard to lose weight when you get older, we're going to find out why. You're on News Talk 770 and more than money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on News Talk 770 and more than money. And uh, Faisal, this is a problem that you're well acquainted with, I think. <laughs> you're going to go there. That's right. <laughs> you're going to go there. Pear is a shape. You keep reminding me of that. I keep on saying to you, Dave, it's not my weight that's the problem. It's my height that is the problem. You add an extra foot on me, I'm perfect you're BMI. perfect weight. Perfect right. BMI. Well, listen, we're, we're kind of making fun of this, and uh, only because it's fun to poke fun at you. But <laughs> it is actually a, a growing, and it can be a serious problem for a lot of people. And we've got Dr. Ria Sharma, who's a professor of medicine, and he's also the chair in obesity research and management at the U of A and the clinical co-chair of the Alberta Health Services Obesity Program. We want to welcome you to the uh, program today, Dr. Sharma. Hey, good morning. <laughs> so let's, let's just talk a little bit about this, uh, this weight issue. Um, you, you know, we hear a lot, uh, we hear a lot about it. Uh, our population is getting older. I seem to be getting a little thicker around the middle as I get older. I imagine I'm probably not abnormal in that case. But 
Why is it? Uh, why does it get more and more difficult as we get older uh, to either keep the weight down or not put it on? Well, I think one of the one of the key reasons there is that as we get older, things tend to slow down, uh, and uh, that includes metabolism. And so, of course, the fewer calories you need, the harder it becomes to not overeat, and uh, you know, the more likely you are to overeat, uh, the more likely you are going to be to put on weight. Uh, and having said that, having a you know having a metabolism slowdown, activity slow that slows down, all of that changes, uh, and that of course makes it more and more or, or harder and harder to even to even maintain a you know, a healthy weight for a lot of people. Yeah, that's slowing down on metabolism is a bit of a problem because I like to eat. <laughs> to eat. <laughs> Food tastes good to me. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, what we can do uh, to perhaps, there's a few variables is what you've said here. So let, let's maybe talk about the different variables about how we can either control weight or even lose some weight as we get a little bit older. What what are your, what's your guidance here? Well, uh so the Canadian Medical Institution came out and said, you know, we have to look at obesity as a chronic disease. And the reason behind that was really the fact that once you put on weight, and it doesn't really matter how you put on weight, and, you know, we can talk about all the different reasons why someone might, you know, start putting on weight, mm-hmm. uh, either as a kid or, or later in life. Uh, once you start putting on the weight, what actually happens is that, you're, that the, way this, the way our bodies work is that, the, uh, that the, the, uh, the body starts defending that higher weight. So your body doesn't care how you put on an extra 50 pounds. All it cares about is, now the 50 pounds are there i got to, i got to do my job to defend them hmm. and what i mean by that is that the body is very resistant to weight gain so although you can try your best to try to lose the weight and that's possible uh, so you go on a diet you start your exercise program you start losing and you can maybe lose all of those 50 pounds extra pounds but the problem is that your body wants them back and your body has a whole bag of tricks that it can use to get to try and get your body back and un- uh, that weight back and unfortunately we know from all of the research that you know in 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 19 out of 20 cases your body's going to win and put that weight back on so you're really talking about once you've got that excess weight you're talking pretty much about a lifelong problem that's going to need a lifelong solution uh, and that's why the medical association comes out and says it's a chronic disease so you have to think about two different things here. One, of course, is prevention. Nobody wants to have a chronic disease. So first question, what is it that you could possibly do to, to stop this from happening in the first place? Uh, but then there's the second question, well, once it's happened, now what do you do to try and control it? Uh, so those are two different questions, and uh, you know we can discuss both. But that's really how we think about obesity today. So I'm, I'm a bit curious about your comment that the body wants to, once that weight comes on, to defend it. Um, why is that? Why, why, why do we want to be, why would the body, you know, want that extra 50 pounds? Uh, because it's, it's great to have those extra 50 pounds. Those extra 50 pounds are, are extra calories that virtually guarantee your survival. So the way that biology has evolved, you know, over the millions of years is, uh, you know, to take up calories and calories are available. And, you know, the body fat is then where you store those calories. And you can store, you know, a ton of calories in that body fat for pretty much forever. I mean, like I, sometimes I joke about it. I said, you know, I'm still living off that pizza I had 10 years ago <laughs> uh, because it's still sitting there, you know, for when I need it. Uh, and so your body is very critical about trying to defend its body weight. And it, it'll do anything to, to uh, uh, you know, protect the weight. And, and, and people experience this. You know, you start off on a diet, you're, you're, you know, you do your exercise thing and whatnot. First couple of days, first couple of weeks, you, just, you know, you're losing weight. But then once the body gets mm-hmm. its act together, that weight loss becomes harder and harder until ultimately you stop losing weight, and that's what, you know, the plateau. I've never read anybody who's lost weight till they disappeared. That doesn't happen. <laughs> but you, weight loss always stops at some point, and that's, you know, and that's when your body has really geared up all of its defense mechanisms. And unfortunately, those mechanisms also uh, 
virtually guarantee that you're going to put the weight back on. So, so Dr. Sharma, then when you sit down with your, your family uh, uh, doctor and they, they look at, you know, let's call the guy Dave, and let's say he's about 20 pounds overweight. That's and kind. A, and, and uh, Yeah, it is kind. And the doctor goes, you got to lose weight. you got a year. Let's, next year, let's, see, let's get you down by 10 pounds. That's kind of the conversation happening in the family doctor's office right now. There, there is no conversation about this could be a, a bigger problem and what you need to do to, to get there. They're just using the, um, the, the diet and exercise formula, if you want to call it, to right. reduce the weight, and that's it. So if it's going to come back up. If, if, if Dave is going to you know, get back his 10 pounds or go back up to back another 20 pounds overweight, what can he do or what should a person do to try to keep that down and maintain it? Because there's a, there's a health issue when you get right, so let's talk, let's talk about a couple of things. The first one is that yes, excess body fat, you know, or weight can contribute to health problems, uh, but you can do a lot about it even without losing weight. So if you so if I eat better, high quality food, good food, if I exercise, uh, if I get good sleep, if I feel good about myself, if I have some you know stress management skills and all of that kind of stuff, then I'm I'm going to be pretty healthy, uh, almost almost irrespective of what happens to my weight. So, so we have a lot of research showing that there's a wide range of body weights that people can be at uh, and still be extremely healthy or very healthy. And so the first thing you want to say is, well, what is, you know, is there really a health reason for having to lose that weight? Now, you know, there might be a very good health reason. There might be, you might have diabetes or Dave might have high blood pressure or David might have sleep apnea or whatever. Uh, those are all medical reasons where you say, listen, you really need to start thinking about treating that obesity uh, because you've got these health problems. But it might also turn out that, you know, Dave, Dave, you know, exercises, eats great, and you do all the tests, and it turns out that, yeah, Dave is, you know, he's the 10 pounds heavier. He doesn't like the 10 pounds, uh, but that's more his sort of body image thing. It's not really because it's affecting his health. Mm-hmm. So you have to actually make that distinction and not simply tell everybody, listen, you need to go lose weight, because that we know just sets them up for failure. Yeah, that's a fair comment. That's very interesting, because then the whole concept of, you know, that BMI, the body mass index, and... And all that just is just a ratio. It's not a. It's not right. A it's, piece. A, it's like the clothing size. You tell me. You tell you know. It's like saying you know I'm a size 18. I got to go see my doctor. You know that's basically <laughs> what it is. So, right. It's not. A, it's not. A, it's not a medical diagnosis. Um, so you have to. You know, it's a screening tool. If your BMI is above a certain level, chances are, well, you know, maybe it's affecting your health. But you can't tell. You got to go take see your doctor, and they'll run. They'll do some tests, and then he'll tell you. Hmm. So what's the key takeaway then? I mean, um, we're we're classifying this now, I guess, uh, as a disease. Um, I don't even. I guess I don't even know what the definition of obesity is. Maybe maybe we could review that. Sure. So so the World Health Organization defines obesity as the presence of abnormal or excess body fat that impairs health. So hmm. so it's it's not just excess body fat. There's also certain types of body fats, which makes this whole story even more complicated. Uh, but depending on where the body is uh, stored, decides to store the fat, uh, you've got good fat and bad fat. And so it's the presence of that fat affecting your health that really defines obesity. Otherwise, you're just a fat guy. You know, that's not a disease. <laughs> that's a good point. All right. So, so, and only your doctor can tell you that, I assume. Yeah, or somebody, yeah, a health professional, like a nurse or a nurse practitioner. It has to be some trained health professional. Uh, you can't do this, but you can't step on the scale and decide whether you're healthy or not. So your scale doesn't tell you that. Yeah. Oh, okay. The scale doesn't. That's a good point. Okay, good. I'm not going to be so worried about what I saw this morning then on the scale. <laughs> I'll go to the doctor and I'll get the full report. <laughs> when the scale says only one person at a time, Dave, there's a problem for you. You need to see a doctor. 
Fair enough. All right. Listen, Dr. Sharma, I want to thank you for joining us today and shedding some light on that. It's, uh, as always, it's a little bit more complicated than, as you said, just step it on the scale. Sure, anytime. All right. We've been do- uh, joined by Dr. Aria Sharma. He's a professor of medicine and the chair in obesity research and management at the U of A also clinical co-chair of the Alberta Health Services Obesity Program. All right, before we finish up another show, I want to remind you about our upcoming seminar on Monday, June 19th. That's Monday, not the Tuesday that we typically do. June 19th, 7 o'clock at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits. Give us a call at 966-8400, or you can register at morethanmoneyradio.com. Now, I want to remind you that you can join, you can go and review any of the segments in today's show or past segments in our archives. You can do that at morethanmoneyradio.com, or you can search for More Than Money, brackets, C-H-Q-R, and bracket, on iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on Newstalk 770. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.